Well, about a year ago, my wife Laura and I, we were on Sanibel Island in Florida. And we love Sanibel. Love Sanibel. We were celebrating our 15th wedding anniversary, and while we were on Sanibel, we encountered something that we had never encountered before. A shark. Up close and personal. Um, now, that was a big deal to me because when I was six years old, the movie Jaws came out. <laughs> Some of you might have seen or heard of that little film. And there were times as a little kid when I'd be swimming in North Lake or swimming at Prescott Beach, and I'd hear that theme in my head, right? And you could never let it show that you were afraid as a, as a, as a kid. At least I, for some reason I couldn't. And, and, but inside when I'd hear that theme music playing, I'd swim a little faster towards shore or towards the dock or, or to whatever. Well, let's fast forward uh, to Sanibel then in 2016. And now we were in a situation where if someone would have asked Laura or myself, are there sharks in this water? We would, we would have said yes. You know? But by this point in my life, that didn't really affect how I behaved. You know, we, we would be in the water. Even as a kid, when I was in North Lake or Prescott Beach, there were no sharks and I was nervous about it. Now I wasn't freaking out that there were sharks in the water, even though there there were. It wasn't affecting the way that we were behaving. Until. Until. I was down the beach a little ways, and uh, Laura was in the water, and Laura was facing the beach. All right, So facing the beach, she's in the water, maybe up to her knees. And some other people on the beach looked out in the water, and they saw a dorsal fin, a good-sized one, break the surface and start breaking towards Laura. And so they said, hey, you might want to consider getting out of the water. There's a shark coming your way. So I hear about this later. I come down and I'm like, I got to see this shark, you know, because the only one I'd ever seen live was the one about this big that my, one of my daughters had, had caught. And so I'm like, I want to see the shark. So we're all scanning the horizon, right? I get right to the water's edge and I'm looking for this dorsal fin 10 yards out, 20 yards out, 30 yards out. When all of a sudden this big old shark comes swimming. And if these chairs were the water line and I'm standing on the beach, it was here. I had no idea these big sharks can get that close to shore. And being the quick thinker that I was, I pulled up my camera and I took a picture of the shark. There. <laughs> no, that, the, everything is the truth except the picture. That's a lie. But if it would have opened its mouth, it would look just like that. So there was this big old shark, you know, and it, and it was just, wow. It was a, it was a, it was a big deal to a, a kid who'd never seen one up close and personal. Well, we're in the middle of a teaching series called messaging. And it's a series where we've been discussing how we share our faith and how we can do that accurately and how we can do that effectively, especially to those who don't want to hear what we have to say. And today we're going to focus specifically when it comes to sharing on the importance of prayer. And here's where I, the reason why I started with the story that I started with. If this were just a classroom, right? If this were a classroom and I gave you all the assignment to go home and to write a persuasive paper on why prayer should be essential if we want to share our faith well. I think most people in this room could come up with a really good paper because in our heads, in our heads, we understand that there's a link between prayer and sharing our faith well. Now, if this were a classroom and that teacher gave us the assignment to, to actually live this out and they were to grade us 
on how much we're applying the things that are in our heads when it comes to praying and sharing our faith. That grade might be different than the paper, right? There's a difference between theoretically knowing there's sharks in the water and then actually seeing one and having it change you. And it's my hope today as we look at this, this what the scriptures say about prayer, that we would come away saying, I'm going to change some things if I want to share my faith well in this world. So let's dive right in. Um, there will be some future services where in series where we, we, we have in the past, we'll do it again, where we take on prayer for a whole series. But today we have a very targeted question that we're going to be working with. And here it is. There's a place to write it in your notes. What can we learn about effective prayer from the most effective little M messenger in history? And when I give that disclaimer on little M messenger, that's referencing some things that we had talked about early in the Caesar, in the series, how Jesus, he's the capital M messenger because he embodied that message from God. And so all the rest of us who are doing our best, we're little M messengers. And today we're going to look at the, arguably the most effective message bringer in history, a guy named Paul. He lived in the first century. Paul's effectiveness when it came to sharing his faith was all the more amazing when you consider the headwinds that that man faced. It's almost as if Paul was able to tap into a power source that went beyond his ability to persuade other people. And I'm not just saying this because I'm supposed to say this. That power is available to us. That power is available to us. And so often we know that in our heads but we're not adjusting and aligning our lives in that way. Well, as I did my research this week, I started with a thesis when it came to Paul. My thesis was that Paul mentioned prayer in all of his letters that are in the Bible. That was my thesis. And here's what I discovered as I dug into my thesis. I discovered there were in all of these, uh, we, all of these letters that he wrote, there are explicit mentions of prayer. And in the other two, there's implicit references to prayer. So there's explicit references to prayer in Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and Philemon. And there's implicit references to prayer in Galatians and Titus. Was prayer a priority for Paul? Yes! Man, if I was a classroom teacher, <laughs> many of you are, you're like, ah, welcome to my world, right? Prayer was prayer priority for Paul, yes. And there's a place to write this in your notes. Paul asked for prayer and Paul prayed for others. Both of those things were true. Prayer was so essential that he said, would you pray for me on numerous occasions? And prayer was something that he did for others. And one of the common themes when Paul asked for prayer for himself can be seen in this quote from 2 Thessalonians. He said this, 2 Thessalonians 3.1, Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be what? Honored as happened among you. When he's writing to these people, he's writing to people who were able to receive this message. It was honored. And what he's saying here is, you know, pray for us that that will continue. And for a number of us, isn't this our big fear, right? When we want to share with others, we want to do it well. We want this word to be honored. If we're going to share our faith, we don't want to make things worse. Isn't this a great prayer to pray that, our, that it may be honored? So he asked for prayers like that for himself, but he also prayed for others that the sharing of their faith would be effective too. Here's an example from a letter that he wrote to a man named Philemon. He said this, Philemon 6, I pray 
that the sharing of your faith may become effective. There was a link that he saw between prayer and the effective sharing of our faith. Now, this particular verse is even more vivid in context. Philemon was a successful guy. And I came across this insight as I was preparing and digging into these passages. It says this from one of my uh, sources. The term translated into English as sharing was also used or often used for business partnerships or for sharing possessions. In his choice of words, Paul may have been leveraging principles that Philemon applied every day in business and every day in life. And so, to put this in modern day terms, if if you want to be effective in your sharing of faith, prayer is is essential. It's as essential as it is, is fuel is for a truck driver who wants to transport his cargo from one place to another. All right, to make this actionable, in your notes, we've included three Pauline prayers. And if that term is new to you, if you're you're studying the Bible, you might come across the word Pauline. What they're talking about there is influenced by Paul. So we have, to make this as practical as we can, we've got three prayers that we're going to talk about today that are influenced by Paul in his writings, things that he said about prayer. And we're going to look at those here, starting with this one. Here is a prayer that comes from Paul's teachings that I believe is the starting point for all of this. And that is, God, help me to see myself as you see me. God, help me to see myself as you see me. It all starts here. If there's been any theme that's been woven, any sub-theme that's been woven through all these messages so far in this series, it's this one. Praying that we can see ourselves with honesty, how we really are. It all starts here. I still remember a conversation that I had with a stranger about 30 years ago. 30 years ago, I, I still remember it. Um, I was at a Christian musical or music festival called Sunshine. Anyone ever heard of Sunshine Music Festival? Okay. I had no idea growing up as this kid in Hastings at this little Lutheran church, they even had anything like this. And by this point in my life, I was 18 or 19 years old. I had as best I could had a, had a conversion where I said, God, I'm all in. I'm all in. You can have my career. You can have my life. The way I'm going to date is going to be influenced by you. The, the, the way I invest my time, everything I do, God, relationships, dating, everything, it's all yours. And I remember how frustrating that was because in Hastings, Minnesota, there was only one other guy I knew in my class of 400 who was trying to do the same. And so I go to this, this Christian music festival where there's all these people. And anytime someone in the front of the stage would say, Jesus, everyone would go, ah! I'm like, Wow! People never get excited about Jesus at Hastings High School. And so I thought, this is awesome. And so I was talking to these different people. And I remember talking to this guy, this stranger that I referenced earlier, five to ten years older than me, cool guy. And I remember just talking to him. And I remember saying, hey, isn't it awesome to be here where we're surrounded by all these people who are, are on fire for God? You know, and isn't it so frustrating, you know, that, that so few people, so few people are real Christians, you know, so few people are, are trying to live a life of holiness. And I remember talking, and he just looks at me. He lets me finish. And then he says, you know what? And he said this with humility. He said this with tact. He said, our righteousness, it's like filthy rags. I had never heard anyone talk like that before. All the people that I knew were on the Pharisee fast track who were serious about God, right? They were like, man, got to be more like me. This was the first guy I met who was, he really got it. He really got it. 
He, was, he knew that he was passionately loved by God. He knew that he had, was purchased at a great price. He knew that he was called to be perfect. He, he, in fact, we are called to have a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees. But he also knew that none of us can perfectly live this out. And even our best efforts are tainted by sin. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said this about authentic Christian community, a community of Christians who who really understand um, what it's like in in contrast to others. He goes to this, he says, he who is alone with his sins is utterly alone. The final breakthrough to fellowship in many churches does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everyone must conceal his sin from himself and from their fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner suddenly appears and is discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. One of the things that made Paul so effective is that he saw himself as God saw him. And in his Pharisee zeal, he was on his way to a city called Damascus. And God opened Paul's eyes by blinding him. And Paul began to see himself for the first time as God saw him, as a sinner who was saved by amazing grace. And Paul prayed that we could understand that truth too. This is the starting point for everything. This is a prayer of Paul's in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. He prays, he says, My response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his Spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength, that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out. Experience the breath. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives full in the fullness of God. That kind of prayer that could be a game changer. Because then out of some zeal that the Pharisees had, or out of some guilt, it's coming from a place of, you may not know this, but you want this. It comes from a place, to use the analogy of the whole shark thing, it comes from a place of, of saying, hey, just so you know, there's a shark coming your way. And as fun as it may be to get a little exploratory bite on your calf, there's an alternative. Sanibel rocks. It's an awesome island. Come on out. Join us on the shore because there's so much to see. Do you see the difference? You're inviting someone into something rather than only away from something. The more that we see ourselves as God sees us, the more that the good news really soaks in. The more we become God enthusiasts. And the more that we become God enthusiasts, the easier and more compelling it is to share our faith. And may I present to you that our motivation will increase all the more 
if we pray this second Pauline prayer. The first one is, God, help me see myself as you see me. The second one is this, God, help me to see others as you see them. Amen. God, help me to see others as you see them. As I was reading through the dozens and dozens of references that Paul makes to prayer in his letters, I came across this one. If you have your Bibles, this would be an interesting one to open up to. Romans 10.1. If you have your Bibles, let's turn there because I want to show you what this looks like in context. I also want to let you know, too, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one free. We keep a stack of them there at those tables. They're there for you. Please take one as a, as a gift. All right, here we go. Romans 10, uh, verse 1. Let's just start there. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them that they may be saved. Now, let me tell you the backstory behind this, this passage. Um, as I was preparing for this, this, this message, I, I, I typed in on one of those search engines, I typed in um, all of the word pray and then all of Paul's letters to just see what would come up. And this is one of the ones that came up. And so I had done that exercise a couple weeks ago. And if you would have asked me back then to say, what is future Chris going to be talking on today? I would have said, future Chris is going to just look at this verse right here and say, here we go. It's going to be a really short sermon. We do this, right? Pray that God's going to give you three to five people that you should be praying for and look for opportunities to to share as God reveals. Amen. Go in peace. Go get your brunch. Um, Sermon writing would be so much easier if I could just take TED Talks and throw in some Bible verses, right? (laughs) But if we're going to be true to the text, it's the living word of God. And there's a lot more here than that. And it's an important message for us because so often we don't necessarily see others the way God sees them. We can see it as, oh, I don't want to offend them. And And yes, we don't want to offend them. But also, do we really see them as needing truth? Do we really see them? Let's just look at this, this, this section in just even a little more context. And you start to see that there's... There's more here. So again, it starts with brothers. My heart's desire and prayer for God or to God for them is that they may be saved. And then it goes right into this. For I bear them witness. I bear them witness. I'm sharing this, right? I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. This is important stuff for Minnesota nice people, isn't it? According to this passage, there are people that have a zeal for God, and yet, they're in far more danger than Laura was in that water. All of the sources that I consulted that try to do justice to this text They say something like this about these verses. The Jews' zeal, this is from the ESV Study Bible, the Jews' zeal and sincerity does not lead them to salvation. The broader principle is that many sincere religious people are wrong. You ever try to tell someone they're wrong about their religious beliefs in Minnesota? (laughs) Oh, man, it does not go over well. But if we're going to accurately and effectively share the message that's been handed down to us through Scripture, if we're going to look at the Bible as our guide for faith and conduct, then we've got to face the truth, the truth that everyone is not equally right. What do you do with that? Here's what another source said, Romans 10, 1 through 3. The Jews' zeal for God was commendable in that God was the object, but it was flawed because it was not based on right knowledge about God's way 
of salvation. And this isn't just an isolated thing here. This is woven through pretty much all of Paul's writings in different ways, shape, or form. In a couple of weeks, we're going to circle back to Romans here. And if we have, we're going to look a little bit at Romans 1. And in Romans 1, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says we are in dangerous waters when we suppress the truth. We're in dangerous waters when we suppress the truth. Truth matters. And I want to give you an example of this, of, of truth. How you, There's really no healing. There's really no much of anything if you don't face the truth. Last week, I referenced a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel, and I said chapter 7 is worth the price of the book. Let me give you a little insights why. Here's a, here's a quote from chapter 7. The author is a man named Brennan Manning. He um, is a self-professed, or was a self-professed alcoholic who's now gone on to be with the Father. And through his experience with all of that and with life, he writes this. He says, in order to free the captive, one must name the captivity. Can I get an amen? The evil one is the great illusionist. He varnishes the truth and encourages dishonesty. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth has no place in us. Truth consists in the mind giving to things the importance they have in reality. And one of the reasons that prayer is so essential when it comes to sharing our faith is that prayer has the potential to align our hearts and our minds with reality. Reality that's found in Jesus Christ who came to seek and save the lost. Which implies that there are lost that need to be seek and saved. Sought and saved. Well, in chapter 7, um, Brennan Manning, he tells a story of an event that occurred when he was here at a treatment center in Minnesota for his own alcoholism. His counselor was a man named Sean. And in the book, Manning tells a story of what happened when Sean directed a pa- patient named Max to go in what they called the hot seat. They'd make a semicircle, and one of the guys, they'd put him in the hot seat, and they'd ask him questions to try to help get at the truth. Well, Sean, being the caring, tactful counselor that he was, he opened with these words to Max. So how long have you been drinking like a pig, Max? If you Google Minnesota nice, you will not find a picture of Sean um, there. Well, Max pushed back, pushed back hard. He said, I am a practicing Christian. He goes, how could I, if I was this messed up drinking like a pig, how could I be such a wealthy and successful CEO of my own company? He goes, I'm a family man. I take my kids fishing on these expeditions to the Rockies. My oldest two sons have graduated from Harvard. Well, under intense cross-examination, Max finally just said, all right, I'll tell you. I will tell you exactly how much I drink. He said, I have two drinks with my coworkers before lunch. I have two more drinks after the office closes at five. My wife, she likes to drink before dinner. I'll have a couple with her. And then I'll have two more before bed. That's it. He said... <laughs> Eight drinks a day. He says, not a drop more, not a drop, drop less. Well, Sean says, you're a liar. Is that even legal in Minnesota to tell people that? He said, you're a liar. Well, as a seasoned CEO, Max replied with tested resolve. He said, I will pretend I didn't hear that. People don't talk, with me, talk to me like that. 
Because I, one of the hallmarks of my business, one of the things that I've built my business on for more than 20 years is my integrity. People know that my word is my bond. He says to Sean. Sean continued to, to press in and he called him out. Literally. He wheeled a phone into the office that was hooked up to a speaker. And he got a, a bartender from Max's hometown on the phone. And the truth began coming to the surface. And Max drank a little bit more than that. Well, Max didn't like this at all, and he went on the attack, but Sean kept pressing in. And Sean asked Max, he said, Max, have you ever been unkind to any of your kids? Max was a little bit taken back, but he said, okay, well, there was a little thoughtlessness, you know, on the part of my nine-year-old daughter last Christmas Eve. That's when Sean got Max's wife on the phone. And she began telling the rest of the story of what happened. This is a true story of what happened on that Christmas Eve. Their daughter, Debbie, wanted a pair of earth shoes for a Christmas present. This was many years ago. So on the afternoon of December 24th, Max drove her downtown. He gave her $60. He said, you go pick out the nicest pair of shoes in the store. So she did. When the little girl climbed back into the truck with her dad, she gave her dad a big old hug and a big old kiss and said, you are the best dad ever. Well, beaming with pride, Max said, I'm going to go to the tavern and celebrate. And so he pulled into the local tavern and being such a good, responsible father, he locked his daughter in the car with the motor running on an extremely cold day. That was three o'clock in the afternoon. And when Max's wife got to that point in the story, there was silence on the phone. And then when she resumed the story, she was sobbing. And she went on to describe how when Max came out of the tavern at midnight on this cold winter night, the motor had stopped running and Debbie was badly frostbitten on both her ears and her fingers. And when they got Debbie to the hospital, the doctors had to operate. They had to amputate her thumb and her forefinger on her right hand and Debbie will be deaf for the rest of her life. And while this story was being told, Brennan Manning said that Max collapsed on the floor and he started sobbing. And he even started shrieking, he said. And Sean turned to Max and said, Max, get out of here before I throw up. I am not running a rehab for liars. In the account, Max or Manning, Brennan Manning writes this. He said, the philosophy of tough love is based on the conviction that no effective recovery can be initiated until a person admits that they are powerless over alcohol and that their life has become unmanageable. Well, later that day, he goes on to write, Max pleaded for and obtained permission to continue treatment. He proceeded then to undergo the most striking personality change I've ever witnessed. He got honest. He became more open, sincere, and vulnerable and affectionate than any man in the group. Tough love had made him real, and the truth had set him free. And those first two prayers are about knowing the truth, starting with ourselves. God, help me to see myself as you see me. And a big part of that, there's a whole series here, a big part of that is getting people in your life who you allow to speak the truth in love. Isn't that the vital? Absolutely. 
And that second prayer is also about knowing the truth. It's about God opening our eyes to see people not as they present themselves as, but as they really are. Prayer number three is about sharing the truth in love as God provides the opportunity. Prayer number three is this. God, help me to see and to seize opportunities that you present. God, help me to see and seize the opportunities that you present. There are endless reasons, endless reasons why people are going to be resistant to the message that we have. And in Sean's case, he had a, an opportunity that God had provided to speak truth because Max was in rehab. If we tried to say the same things to Max outside of that setting, that's going to not go well, right? That was a specific opportunity that, Mac, that Sean had to share to Max in a certain way. This, second, this third prayer here, this is about us trying to see those opportunities that God provides for us to share. Because if we learned anything in lesson two of this series, it's that timing really, really matters. Timing really, really matters. In fact, I think timing is more important than the words by far. Paul experienced this firsthand. And the next prayer that I'm about to show you from his own words represents hard-won wisdom. Paul writes this prayer in one of his last letters that he ever wrote. Colossians 4, 2 through 3 says this. Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. Let that sink in a little bit. Where's Paul writing from? Prison. And why is he there? For sharing the faith. Paul, he faced opposition to a message that few of us can even relate to. And he came to depend on God as the one who could open the doors. That's why he said, and he prayed that, God, it's going to have to be you that opens these doors for me to share effectively. Good things can happen when we're steadfast in prayer and we look for those opportunities that God opens up rather than ones we try to force our way into. And that's what we're going to pick up next week with that. It's so different than the models of evangelism that many of us were taught. Many of us were working under a paradigm like this. Last quote. We're called by God to be responsive, gentle, respectful, but we're taught by our churches often to interrupt others and strangers, argue, debate, defend our beliefs. Consequently, we find little joy in sharing our hope and we communicate even less because of these methods, our fear of driving our friends and family away causes us to quietly retreat or aggressively attack and hope for the best. May I present to you, it doesn't have to be like this. If we're watchful, if we're prayerful, it can be a whole lot more like saying, hey, there's a shark there. Come on out to the shore because Sanibel rocks, right? Well, as we bring this teaching to a close, I want to point you to the very last thing down here in your notes. It says, where are you going to post these prayers? Because it's so easy to go, yep, yep, yep. Agree with everything. Time for brunch. I'd encourage you to whatever electronically, literally putting this somewhere, post these prayers and begin to pray them and see what God does with that.